Hi, hi everyone. Uh, this is Devin Kildas with Trimble Forensics. Um, we're here this today to do a little bit of an Ask, Ask the Experts uh, webinar on um, GNSS, GPS technology, uh, what are the difference, what are the similarities, and leave uh, some time for questions coming from any of the attendees. Uh, first off, I'd like to go a uh, brief introduction about myself. Um, once again, my name is Devin Kobuz. Um, I'm the portfolio manager for Trimble Forensics. Basically, that means that um, I work on the product side, developing the roadmap, um, where the look ahead on what products we are going to be uh, developing, what we are currently doing, and listening to customers quite um, diligently so that we are producing products that everyone can actually use. Uh, me personally, I graduated from University of Calgary a long time ago in 1996. Um, this is I have a geomatics engineering degree and I was, or still am, a professional land surveyor and have been doing work in that profession for over 20 years prior to joining Trimble. Um, Way back in 1995 was the first time I used GPS technology, and ironically, it was a Trimble system. Um, I did have the benefit through these two plus decades of working on the surveying side of things of living the evolution of GPS and GNSS technology. I used it every day, um, you know, throughout my career. And I, you know, just a brief little note, I joined Trimble Forensics um, in January of 2017. So I'll quickly go over the agenda for today. Um, seeing as how this is, uh, you know, supposed to be a question and answer type of webinar, I'm going to do uh, basically a bit of a short presentation, about 10, 15 minutes on GNSS technology. Um, you know, what is the difference between GPS and GNSS? And then we're gonna leave it open uh, for the audience to submit questions. Um, there'll be a, there should be a question uh, box uh, to submit the questions into. Um, and when we come time for that questions, you know, please start submitting them. If you have them now, if something pops up, just keep adding them to the box. Uh, once I get through my presentation portion, I'll, I'll Take a, you know, maybe take a minute or two and, and quickly go through them and, and start answering what's come in. So with that, I will actually get started. So just gonna give you a brief uh, little snapshot on the history of GPS and GNSS technology. So way back in 1973, um, the Department of Defense in the United States started um, the GPS project, let's say. Um, they started in 73, they had their first satellite launch in 78. Um, coincidentally, Charlie Trimble of Trimble uh, started, started this company in 1978 as well with two other people. Um, by 82, Trimble as a company had started developing its own G GPS technology. And in that year, the actual, the first GLONASS satellite was launched. That's uh, the Russian, uh, Russian-based satellite. Um, by '84, uh, Charlie had uh, developed the first Trimble receiver. There's a 
a little snapshot of it. It was uh, weighed 55 pounds. Um, basically, if you were carrying a few of these around, you needed to do it in a truck. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me. And it consisted of this monstrous receiver and an antenna and a whole lot of batteries. And you could only, you know, capture signals at a certain snapshot in time throughout the day. Uh, by 92, um, the GPS, um, the global posi positioning system owned and operated by the US uh, military was um, kind of, it, it became robust. It, it achieved a sense of maturity where it had 24 satellites orbiting the earth. Um, they have committed to maintain uh, that number of 24 satellites. And what that does is give us full coverage throughout the day. Um, by the early, you know, 2000s, GPS technology is, you know, the go-to technology for surveying and engineering companies. Um, and by 2007, you know, real-time network um, stations are being developed and, and uh, you know, offered to the public. Um, notably, Trimble's is, is called a VRS, the Virtual Reference um, System or Station, sorry. Uh, and by right around that same time, um, the term GNSS started to be, you know, starting to come into use. Um, that, you know, basically is because there's been, there's other satellite systems that are coming on, um, GPS, which is US, GLONASS, uh, Compass out of China and, and others. So how did these satellite navigation systems work? Uh, they they, um, they're, they're all similar in one way. Um, you have a control segment, space segment, and user segment. So the user segment, that's the user that is actually using the signals to get the position. That is you guys, the end users. The control segment is essentially that. It is a set of ground-based stations that monitor monitor the satellites in orbit. They can upload data to them. Um, and, and they're just making sure that everything is good with the satellite health um, and any updates that need to be sent to the satellites is controlled through that control segment. As an end user, you don't interact with that portion of it at all. And then you have the space segment. That's obviously the, the satellites that are orbiting the Earth. Ah, this, this brings back some memories for me. So um, you can... Uh, hear different terminology used. Um, back when, like, let's say early mid 90s, uh, or early 90s, mid 90s, um, static uh, satellite measurement was primarily used. Um, you had to you have receivers and antennas set up over a fixed point on a tripod, collect uh, data for a certain amount of time, and then you had to take all that data back, download it into a computer, and process it in Office software to get the positions of that point that you were set up on. Uh, that's how I started right there. Um, then with the advent of radio technology and communication between two receivers, uh, you got the real-time kinematic technology. This actually gave you an accurate position at the moment you were you know, hitting store point. Um, that was basically because the base, which is a static receiver that is set up somewhere and doesn't move 
is communicating to the rover via radio communication and um, it is firing corrections off to it. So it's doing a lot of internal processing to get that position accurate. Um, and at the time you need it, there was no need to do office processing. Uh, nowadays, you'll hear the term network rover. Um, essentially, you're, you're doing RTK surveying, uh, the real-time kinematic, but the communication for the corrections is different. Um, the, you're communicating via internet to a real-time network, whether it's VRS now or a state-specific one, um, you're getting those corrections via the internet communication, um, and you only need a rover and a form of internet connection. So here's the burning question. Uh, GPS and GNSS, what is the actual difference? Um, I have heard this, these two terms used um, synonymously constantly, uh, but they do mean two different, they, they mean two different things. Um, so we'll start with an actual, the, the GNS, a GNSS system, the Global uh, Navigation Satellite System compromises many subsystems. And one of those subsystems is GPS, which is a US-based satellite navigation system. Um, you have GLONASS, which is Russian, um, Compass, which is uh, China, uh, Galileo, which is Europe. Um, and then there's also India and Japan that have their own, their own systems as well. So all those systems together um, compromise or or make up that uh, GNSS system. When we're talking about GPS, um, in one sense of the form, uh, which means if you're looking at specifications of receivers, you're looking to go and purchase something, and it is marketed as a GPS receiver, that means that it will only accept signals from GPS satellites. So you will be limited to just the GPS network um, for satellite, for signals coming to your receiver. If it's a GNSS receiver, that receiver will be able to accept signals from all these other satellite systems um, that are available and orbiting the earth right now. So to give you, <laughs> it's really hard to try and, and give a visual picture of what this means. So on the left, you have all the GS, GNSS orbits, that GPS, GLONASS, Galileo, and Beidou. The GPS orbit is actually one form of that tighter cluster around the Earth. So it's you know smaller than the whole GNSS system. It's basically what I'm trying to visually depict here, even though it's kind of hard to get some shots from space on orbiting satellites. So what are you know, the advantages of using uh, a receiver that it, it can use GNSS. You know, why, why should I choose GNSS technology strictly over a GPS uh, receiver? Um, because you have uh, the ability to track more satellites, uh, more frequencies. Um, these receivers nowadays are in the hundreds of channels. Um, so it, it's tracking a lot of information at once. Um, you're going to get better coverage of the satellites through challenging environments like tree canopy, urban canyons, where certain satellites might be blocked because you're you're tracking stuff from other other um, systems like GLONASS or or Compass. 
you might be seeing those satellites and your receiver will be able to pick that up and use that in your in your um, solution and you'll still be able to survey in those environments um, with all these you know satellites and signals and, and everything like that your time to first fix is a lot less it, it's almost instantaneous now it's very 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 quick um, there's better modeling of ionospheric effects with all the different frequencies coming through there so it actually does uh, reduce the errors that are inherent in in the signals in the systems and uh, with a GNSS you know enabled receiver you can work anywhere around the globe essentially you're you're covered globally so with that um, that is my brief um, little intro to uh, GNSS technology and and the background on it so um, feel free to add any questions um, that have come up um, I have one that always you know tends to come up and uh, here's one here is how accurate are these systems so if because most of the work um, that is performed nowadays is, is you know uh, real-time kinematic whether it's through network corrections or even radio corrections you know the stated accuracy across the board irregardless of who is um, manufacturing uh, the receiver is 10 millimeters horizontally and 15 millimeters um, vertically um, that that's um, you know basically what every manufacturer is going to state um, you can get a little bit better than that uh, but that's where your average gonna you're gonna lie in Um, here's another good one. Um, how does weather affect this technology? Uh, these systems are weather independent and they are time of day independent now. Um, now that the, um, the, you know, the systems that are orbiting the earth, you know, um, U.S. has maintained or committed to maintain 24 satellites. I think they actually have like 31 orbiting right now. Um, GLONASS has another 24. Uh, Compass from China, when it's built out, is going to be 31, I think, roughly like that. And then there's a smattering of a few others. Um, you're, you're you're covered with an acceptable amount of um, satellites pretty much throughout. 24 hours a day and kind of irregardless of where you are in the world um, prior to all these different satellite systems being up there um, and a lower number of satellites you, you kind of had a block of time during the day when you could actually do work uh, so you'd have like a four-hour block that you could catch enough satellites coming over your specific location to be able to do your work so um, for the most part you know like i said they are weather and time of day um, independent. The only thing that can um, interfere with the actual um, signals coming from the satellites is uh, solar flare activity. Um, every once in a while that'll happen. I think I've, I've had it happen to me, you know, maybe a half dozen times throughout my career where yeah, it just wouldn't fix. You know, you just couldn't get a fixed position. And if you went to the NOAA website, you could tell that there was high solar activity that day. Um, 
Sorry, I'm just reviewing some more of the questions. This is Sophie. Yep. Do you want me to read them? I've been allocating some of them to you. If no, I'm, I'm, you... I'm just I'm looking at them here quickly. Sorry for the delay, okay. but I'm due to the. Uh, there's here's an interesting one. Do each of the constellations of satellites have similar coverage uh, for Canadian latitudes, uh, or do we have less coverage for some than others? Um, being as how I am uh, Canadian, this, I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, you know, at, you're going to, you know, the way that the orbits are designed and how the, the satellites are going, there's going to be a certain latitude, a northern latitude where coverage is going to lessen. Um, I couldn't speak specifically to, you know, is GLONASS different than GPS, different than, you know, Compass? I, I couldn't tell you that specifically but there is there is a latitudinal cutoff where you know you're not going to get uh, the best coverage and i think if i remember correctly and i'm hopefully not stating this wrong that the orbits were designed so that um you know there isn't a whole lot of work being done or or at that time military activity being done at the the poles of the of the earth Uh, what is this one? What advantages of GNSS receiver over GPS receiver in height determination? Um, you know, personally, I've seen um, a minimal, um, you know, it, roughly about the same. Um, I, I, you know, we're, we're talking on the, the level of millimeters here uh, between GNSS, GNSS and GPS. Uh, what is more of a determination is the robustness of the constellation. Um, the GPS constellation um, in, in one way is a little bit more robust in its determination than let's say the GLONASS, uh, the Russian one, um, primarily because the atomic clocks on the GPS satellites are uh, just a little bit more accurate than the ones used in the Russian satellites. So there is a, a slight, you know, it, when you look at it, especially in a vertical sense, if you were just using GPS and GLONASS, if you killed the gene, the GLONASS signal, you could actually end up getting a slightly better height determination, which is counterpoint to your um, counterpoint to your question there. But if you're in very uh, challenging environments, if you were using a GPS only, you could be blocking out enough uh, satellites where your height determination is going to degrade first and get worse. Whereas if you're using a GNSS and you're capturing more satellites, that solution could stay more uh, consistent in a height. Huh. Here's one that comes up every once in a while. Uh, do utility lines interfere with RTK? Uh, yes and no. Uh, it depends how much, you know, how much juice is flowing through those lines. Um, I've had, I've worked all day under uh, residential lines and never had an issue. And I've worked around high power 
transmission lines, the big towers, and I've definitely had issues, uh, not only with uh, communication, the radio communication, but also uh, signal interference from the satellites. Uh, that's one. That's interesting. Uh, here, uh, here's the question. Sorry, it's a long one. Uh, when you set when you set the base over an unknown point and use RTK rover, can you PPP the base, which is post process the position of the base, uh, then apply the XYZ difference between the base initial point and PPP point to all the rover points? Uh, the short answer, yes. <laughs> um, and obviously th th that one's a bit outside the realm of uh, um, a forensics use case, but in you know picking my brain back from when I was surveying, that was done all the time. Um, you just set up the base wherever you wanted, you know, slam the point in the ground, um, did your work for the day and then post, you know, you had to make sure you were logging the uh, data at the base um, so that you had something you could post-process and then you could use Opus if you're here in the States um, and process that base data and then when you applied that um, corrected data to your actual data set that you did um, in TBC for instance Trimble Business Center it would automatically update your positioning it, it would account for that correction that you're talking about Uh, actually, Sophie, if you could do me a favor, uh, well, maybe I won't. Someone, there's someone uh, look, talk about looking up the solar activity for the NOAA website and provide the URL. I do not have that one memorized off the top of my head. Um, I'm trying to, I think it's space weather, space weather or something like that. It's been a while since I looked that one up. What would you like me to do? To just uh... Uh, it's nothing. That's, I'll I'll look okay. it up before the end of this. Uh, here's here's a good one. Um, what is the difference between the R4S LE GNSS receiver and other Trimble GNSS receivers? So. First off, the R4S LE um, GNSS, it, these are Trim, that's Trimble receiver as well. Um, the LE on the, the, the back of that acronym stands for law enforcement. Um, that receiver was designed as part of a solution that works only with our Trimble forensics capture field software. Um, Inside the receivers themselves, um, they are using the same technology as far as an engine to determine a position, um, communication, and, and stuff like that. There are just some other uh, features um, that are, you know, different than um, using, let's say, you know, the R12 that has, um, you know, enhanced uh, abilities under canopy and, and stuff like that. The, the, the R12 is going to outperform the R4 SLE in, in those certain environments. Um, it's a different level of receiver that way. Um, but essentially, um, some of the, the processing in the engine that's inside is, is exactly the same. It's just, we chose the R4 
SLE as the receiver to mate with our solution uh, based on a number of factors, um, you know, ease of use, um, you know, availability, you know, you know, for us on the development side, the ease to work with, um, and it seemed to be a good fit for our market um, with that receiver. But uh, functionally, it is an actual survey grade receiver. Um, it hits that 10 millimeter, 15 millimeter um, spec for RTK positioning. Still looking here at a few others. Um, I get one uh, question from uh, here's here's one that pops up a lot from our market in forensics is can this technology replace my total station? Um, you know, I, I would say uh, what we find in most cases is that. Uh, if, if the scenes are the accident or, or crime scene, collision scene or, or crime scene is outside, um, you know, a GNSS based technology is going to be um, the technology that is going to be most commonly used. I would say, you know, for reconstruction teams that are doing um, collision reconstruction, 80% of their time they'll use GNSS. Yeah, um, it doesn't completely replace total stations. Um, anytime you're going to have to collect evidence that isn't essentially on a horizontal plane, the ground for instance, um, such as like a crush profile for a vehicle or you know happens to be blood spatter on a wall. Um, GNSS is a little bit difficult to use for that. Um, and of, of course it has to be outside, you know, you can't use this technology indoors or in tunnels or, um, really heavy tree canopy. Um, Sorry, I'm going as fast as I can. It says, uh, I'm not sure if that's the question. I'm not sure if it's a what, what geoid model is applied in, in GNSS receiver. Um, you know, essentially, uh, uh, geoid models are, you know, for your best determination with a geoid model, you use one that's specific to your location on the globe. Um, and that one, uh, you know, you would have to use a, a geoid model that is specific to whatever geographic location you are. I know there's, you know, general ones for, um, general ones for wide right wide areas but even even with that you can end up with magnetic anomalies and sometimes have to um you know use something that's even more local i know that's not that's kind of a uh roundabout answer but there's you know i don't know of one you know specific geoid model to use um that's gonna be good for the whole you know everywhere you want to go let's say 
Um, here's one. Can you, here's uh, a question on a uh, correction stream that I, I actually never touched on in this uh, presentation. Um, Trimble has a, another correction source um, that is called RTX. Um, so basically the difference between RTX and using a network rover that is communicating to a, uh, a real-time network such as VRS is you're going to be communicating via the internet to a VRS network. Um, with an RTX correction stream, you do not need an internet connection. If you have a receiver that is RTX enabled, which means it can capture an RTX signal, which is coming down from a specific set of satellites, um, you do not need a internet connection. So this is great news is if, if you're in areas that have uh, very spotty cellular uh, connection, um, RTX is perfect for those type of locations. Uh, what you're gonna sacrifice is accuracy. So um, with a VRS RTK solution, you're in that 10 millimeter, 15 millimeter range. If you're using an RTX, um, you could be, you know, horizontally three to five centimeters and, and vertically it'll be a little bit worse, maybe up to 10, 10 centimeters. But if, you know, the work um, that you're doing, it, that's acceptable accuracies. It's very, uh, very, very good solution for areas that you're challenged on internet communication. Now, just to make note, you do have to have a receiver that can, um, that is enabled for the RTX signal. Uh, would a GNSS work under a bridge or an overpass? Uh, potentially, uh, it would, it would uh, uh, depend on a myriad of factors on that one. Um, you know, how high is that bridge or overpass? How wide is that bridge or overpass? Are you working on, you know, one side of it or are you right under the middle of it? Uh, the best course of action would be to keep an eye on your point quality. Um, if you're staying within your acceptable values uh, for your point quality, then you should be good to go. If it starts spiking, then you're going to have to figure out another way to um, complete your work under that bridge. Usually set set a couple points out in a good, good location, and then that's where uh, your total station is not. Uh, being replaced and you're going to have to do that work by a total station under under objects that are going to uh, do that or block those signals. Here's a good one. Um, this is more along the lines of uh, merging data. Um, can I use a combination of GNSS receiver, total station, and a UAV on a large scene? Uh, once again, short answer is yes. Um, there, there are workflows when combining and merging data sets that are going to streamline the process. Um, it essentially starts, uh, you know, it start it 
these workflows can start in the field. That's going to make your life easier once you get all the data back to the office and, and start merging merging that data. Um, you know, for instance, we, you know we have built in workflows into our uh, capture field software. Um, when using GNSS, that starts you on a you know a local um, a local uh, coordinate system, and that coordinate system can be propagated through with using a total station. And you can also um, merge your UAV data onto it because um, you know all the actual real world because the positions actually derived off a, a reference network. Um, the lat and long are actually known and not you know based on an autonomous position. Um, these data sets can be merged fairly easily through software software in the office. Devin, here's a good question. Sorry, I locked up. Can I use a combination of GNSS receiver, total station, and UAV on a large scene? I think I just answered that one. Sorry. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, everyone's hearing me. I'm like, wait a minute. Did I just talk for 34 minutes with no one hearing? No, no, no. <laughs> I have a... uh, here's here's another one that comes up every so often. It seems to always pop up. You know, how are these professional systems different? from my phone or car navigation. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's a few um, big differences. Yes, are they are they all accessing, you know, satellite navigation systems? We'll just say GPS for now. Um, yes, they are accessing that information. But how they do that and how they use the information is dramatically different. Um, you know, your, your cell phone, um, you know, typically works on one frequency and has very minimal channels. I don't know the number off the top of my head. Um, and with that, they use a very, you know, uh, a cheaper type of internal receiver on them. Um, and what that means is that they can accept more bad signals than the professional systems. Uh, professional systems are designed in a way to mitigate a lot of erroneous data so that the user doesn't even have to you know, sit back and, and, and examine the data and the signals and the tracking of the satellites that was done and go, oh, well, that that looks, you know, like cycle slips happen there and that's bad data that could be possibly multipath. Um, you know, technology now on the professional side of the systems is, is mitigating a lot of that stuff um, so that the user doesn't even have to um, see it. Um, and GNSS systems or professional systems, they'll use, you know, multiple frequencies, um, hundreds and hundreds of different channels. Um, that's going to be, you know, mitigating some of those errors that I mentioned before, like ionospheric effects. Um, it is going to help with multipath as well, and it minimizes the acceptance of all those bad signals. So, um, and, and traditionally, you don't ever use a professional system as a standalone. You don't do autonomous surveying with a, you know, a survey grade instrument, you're always going to be employing, um, you know, either it's going to be a network rover or you're going to be doing traditional base rover RTK and very, very net few and far between nowadays um, static surveying. So you're going to get down to the accuracies uh, through a differential GPS. And um, what I mean by that is it, it's a corrected um, position. Uh, phones are autonomous. It, it isn't. It is completely uncorrected, and the accuracy is is quite a bit less. I think I saw uh, someone 
offered me some help here on that NOAA website. Um, if I could just find it again, there it is. Uh, it is www.swpc.noaa.gov. So I'll say that one more time. www.swpc.noaa.gov, G-O-V, for um, the predict predictions of solar activity. Uh, here's a follow-up to my overpass. Uh, with regard to working under an overpass, does Trimble survey grade offer an offset point like the mapping grade with laser range finder? Um, yes, um, you know, and, and it's really the the field software that is controlling any features like this. Um, so. There, there's a myriad of ways to offset points where whether you're doing, um, you know, I think you actually some some field softwares will allow you to do an integration of a laser range finder. Um, you know, some some don't have that, but there's other offset routines that you can you can do, whether it's a distance distance intersection or um, uh, distance direction you, you can offset the points uh, a myriad of different ways but if you know a rangefinder is nice because if you have a lot of uh, pickup you can stand in one spot and tag a bunch of of the points and it reduces it back uh, via the field software um, we don't do that in uh, in our forensics market or in our our forensics field software there's not much you know we haven't seen much uh, use case um, for adding something like that on our for our market, here's one. What did, uh, what uh, precision uh, is necessary or recommended for a uh, forensic analyst? That there, there is no, um, I would say one one answer for that. Uh, and what I mean is, if you are um, measuring out a skid mark to determine a likely speed that a vehicle was was going at before it started hitting the brakes excuse me um let's say a half a foot or six inches of difference in that measurement is not going to create very much of a difference in the actual speed determination of that vehicle um so there the actual accuracy needed could be a widened, you know, a, a higher value or lesser value, sorry. Um, but if you're going to be doing things like blood spatter analysis, um, you know, your the precision can be very, you know, tight where you could get into, you know, the hundreds of a foot at that point, or, you know, we're, we're into them, you know, uh, centimeter or sub centimeter range on measurements for that. So it, it really depends on what what kind of scene and what evidence in the scene needs to be mapped um, and, and what they're going to be doing with it as far as reconstruction purpose. So um, it, it varies, varies depending on, on what the evidence is. There's one question. It says um, the RS4, the, the R4 SLA is not on the Trimble website. Yes, um, that's because it's on the Trimble Forensics website under the GNSS Solutions page where you can see the data sheet. Sorry that I had to jump in here. So there's one nope, question I just saw that, that says, yeah. as I nope. said, 
Uh, so um, it's uh, forensics.trimble.com is our website for Trimble Forensics. And if you go to the GNSS solution, that's where you'll find the R4SLE um, data sheet with all the specs. Yeah, we, we um, you know, within Trimble Forensics, we have solutions specifically for um, the forensics market, primarily law enforcement. Um, so we, you know, keep our solutions um, there. Um, I've mentioned briefly our, our Trimble Forensics Capture software, um, that's the field software. We have uh, Reveal, which is our office software. Probably won't find those on Trimble, you know, generic trimble.com as well. Those, those are strictly on forensics.trimble.com. So I think with that, hopefully uh, some of this information was uh, informative and thank you very much for your time and hope you have a great rest of the day.